Hi, I'm Pat Rulo, author, speaker, and radio host of Speak Up Talk Radio. I'm local and vocal when it comes to healthcare safety. If you need a life-changing topic and speaker for your next event, call me, 440-725-5462, or visit speakupandstayalive.com. Patient safety is your right, so don't go wrong. Let me share what I know with your group, 440-725-5462, or visit speakupandstayalive.com. Welcome to Speak Up and Stay Alive Radio with author, speaker, and your host, Pat Rulo, serving you a generous helping of everything you need to know to help you and your loved ones stay safe during any doctor or hospital visit. The program is not intended to replace medical advice from a licensed professional, but rather to encourage you to become a well-informed participant in your health and well-being. And now, your host, Pat Rulo. Hello and welcome. I'm Pat Rulo, the voice for patient safety, where each week we delve into little-known healthcare and hospital hazards, as well as other fringe topics that affect your health and well-being. I'm so happy you've taken the time to join me, and today I have lots to share with you. So, let's dig right in, shall we? Today, I have Steve Wilkins back with us to talk about the communication gap between physicians and patients, and he's here right now to answer some of our recent email questions. Steve is principal and founder of Mind the Gap Academy, a consulting, training, and solutions company focusing on improving physician-patient communications and engagement with a goal of improving patient outcomes, enhancing quality and satisfaction while reducing cost. And I'm thrilled to have him back. So welcome to the show, Steve. Well, thank you very much, Pat. I appreciate it. Well, today I have some listener email questions to run by you that specifically pertain to the gap between physicians and patients. So thank you for uh, taking this opportunity to help us through it, Steve. Sure. My pleasure. All right. Lucy RN209 writes, Pat, as a nurse, I see this more and more lately. A parent comes into the office with a preconceived notion of what they want for their child, usually an antibiotic. If my doc doesn't prescribe, the patient storms out and later we find an unfavorable review online. Who says patients need to be satisfied? They need to be safe. Any ideas? Sure. The first thing that needs to happen is is that the principal caregiver, whether it's the nurse or uh, you know, a physician's assistant or nurse practitioner or the physician, need to ask the patient or the mom why she thinks an antibiotic is necessary. And, and to understand her belief system in terms of why she's asking that, asking and making that request, has that expectation. And then at that point, once she felt, feels listened to, if it's appropriate, you give it to her. If it's not appropriate, you say no, and you explain why uh, in, in some detail, and you come up with an alternative. Um, and you explain why the alternative is better or more appropriate than what she's asking. And so, again, it's, it, you need to understand where the person's coming from, patient, or the, in this case the parent, is coming from, and proceed accordingly. And conversely, the doctor has to check their, their assumption set, or the nurse has to check their set of assumptions at the door as well. They need to be mindful of their prejudices they have about patients, because I, that's a classic example where, where doctors will say, uh, tell me 
that, oh, my patients just expect me to give them an antibiotic, and I need to examine the child and understand what's going on. And if I don't give them, they're just going to get upset mm-hmm. um, and leave dissatisfied. Well, that's not true. Again, the same, you know, research shows that if you understand and ask the patient about their expectations, why you want them, and if you can, you can respond to them in an appropriate fashion as to why they don't need them and something else is better, it doesn't impact satisfaction at all, right. negatively. And in fact, probably positively impacts it. And maybe even to ask, I mean, do you feel comfortable with what we're doing today? I mean, before they leave, oh, absolutely. ask them, are, are you okay with this? And yeah, do you understand? And there should be a standing invitation. If you don't, if you, don't, if you have questions or, or you, you have a disagreement um, with, with what, what I'm recommending, say so. Yeah. You know, let's talk about mm-hmm. it. It's no more difficult than inviting the patient to get involved. And for years, but people have been socialized to not participate. They're not expected to participate. It's all about the conversation. Yes. Yeah. All righty. Ron the Advocate wonders, does anyone really think the carrot and stick approach works for anyone other than a mule? Patient engagement forced by regulations or any other extrinsic reward doesn't make sense to me. We should be kind, open, empathetic to another human being during their weakest moments because we are financially rewarded or punished or because it's simply the right thing to do. I don't want to chase carrots, nor do I want to be beaten with a stick. Do you have any other solutions? Yes, again, communications. When was the last time anybody ever asked you what your health goals were as a patient? Never. My doctors never asked me either. To, to be engaging, you need to be relevant to the patient. Uh, here's an example. I came in uh, to my personal physician, and I've been going through a series of eye, retinal, I have 60 detached retinas over the course of two years. Oh, my. The major surgeries. And my mom died, and, and I had some other things going on. And so I was really depressed. So I went in, and, and I told the physician about this. And my mom died, and, and I was really depressed. And, and, and concurrently, uh, for a while, I'd been on Paxil. Surprisingly enough, after I'm having told the doctor this information, he never said, oh, I'm sorry about your mom, never dealt with the depression associated with the eye. He said, I want to get you off Paxil. <laughs> oh, <laughs> and he was more concerned about doing. Uh, it just seemed totally, in, in, you know, incongruous to what I was expecting. Yeah. So again, talk to the patient, understand where they're coming from, and whatever you do to the patient, make sure what you do or say is relevant to them, mm-hmm. which presumes you understand something about them. Right. You can't be relevant if you don't know anything about your patient. I just thought that was interesting what Ron the Advocate wrote, patient engagement forced by regulations. When I hear that, I think of meaningful use. Right. Um, and that's absurd because it assumes that unless you use technology, you're not engaged. Well, as I, as I believe, you, just the very act of going to the doctor's office is perhaps the best index indices for you. Right. And, and so to say that you're only engaged if you use somebody's technology is no. kind of self-serving. Yeah. It's like, it's like far, the big pharma saying, well, you're only engaged if you use uh, our medication. Our drugs, yeah. <laughs> oh. and, uh, I, I guess it works because they, you know, um, you know, everybody has spent a lot of money to buy this technology and nobody's using it. Well, speaking of technology, I have Shelly in Texas emailed, I'm a 30-year-old excuse me, I'm a 30-year receptionist at a family practice and our internet patient portal gets very little use. I thought technology would put patients in closer touch with their information. Do you have any suggestions on how to make this more enticing? 
Sure. Make sure that there's something on there patients want to read. Make it relevant. Most patients understand that if they want their lab test results, they can get them a hard copy of them uh, from the doctor or the nurse or the medical assistant before they leave the doctor's office. Or they can get them from the lab companies. So there's really no compelling reason to go onto a portal to get that care of it. So is a patient portal really providing that much value to anybody? And at this point, I would argue no. Um, and that's why people aren't using them. People aren't dumb. Um, people know where they get value and what they, where they don't get value. And if they can get something easier somewhere else, why would they go online? Exactly. So if you want to jazz up <clears throat> use of the portal, again, let's talk to patients about what they would like to have access to versus what's there, and then look at integrating the portal into the discussions they have in the exam room with their physicians. Right. And I'll bet you find that 99.9% .9 of the time, the doctor never even mentions the patient. Mm -hmm. their patient. Yeah, so, you're right about that. As I look back on... Yeah, so visits, I mean, it, yeah. I don't, don't, don't blame the don't portal. Don't blame the patient or the portal. Uh, yeah. And, and don't, don't think that just because patients don't use it, they're not engaged. Mm -hmm. Really look at what you're expecting, you know, an inexpensive saw piece of software that was developed as an afterthought to your medical record system. Mm -hmm. But look at what you're expecting it to do. Right. Interesting. It just it just was never designed to engage patients. Relevance is the key word. Relevance and good content. Got it. Another uh, kind of a technology related question. Nancy in Ohio sent this. She said, Pat, my doctor always has his head down looking at his computer or iPad. He never looks at me and that makes me feel like I'm not a real person to him. With voice recognition software or perhaps a scribe, couldn't there be a different and better way to communicate? Well, actually, some physicians uh, are going that route, the route of scribe. Mm -hmm. the, the cost of adding the scribe, um, I, I think, really kind of offsets itself with other the expense is offset by other savings that accrue in, in other ways in the practice. There's actually studies that look at the gaze of the physician during the exam. Videos, you know, they have videotapes and they video the recording and they look at where the physician's looking. And so they can see the patient, the doctor's looking down at the lab, at the laptop. And then they also see that the, the patient is trying to look at the laptop as well. So the, the gaze and the focus then becomes on something other than what they're talking about and, and the patient. I think everyone acknowledges that, that the technology has the possibility of really um, changing the way physicians and patients interact. Whether or not technology makes you feel any less of a person, well, that, that's one of the big complaints patients already have. Mm -hmm. Computer, no computer, you know, patients tend to feel that their doctors really don't understand them. Because that's how they were trained. They were never trained to get to know you as a person. Uh, and many physicians, if you ask them, will secretly tell you, that, well, why is that important? You're the heart, heart patient in room one or the belly patient in room four. Yep. You know, once I diagnose your problem and I have a treatment plan, it's up to you to figure out everything else. Yeah, that's all I, mean, I, need I don't to need know. to talk to you. Interesting. So I don't need to understand you as a person. Mm. But what we have to change is is that role, the perception of the role behavior between the doctor is the you know focusing on the diagnosis and the patient is being passive. The doctor does need to understand you as a person, and you need to be able to stand up and make sure the doctor and to help the doctor understand. Exactly to stand out as a, as a person and not the heart surgery in 306. Yep. Yep. All right, we'll take one more. Barry Keller wrote this. He says, I'm an intelligent person, an attorney by trade, so I know how to research. 
When I visit my doctor with pages of, of information I found online, he marginalizes my concern and seems resentful that I've done my homework. Why, if the patient's outcome is the whole point of his job, does he fear my involvement? Because doctors have been trained from the get-go, socialized for many, many years, at least the last hundred years, to be the expert, to be in control, to be the font of knowledge, clinical knowledge, when it comes to healthcare. You know, I personally experience that all the time, where I'm reminded by doctors or my wife's doctors that I'm not a, I'm not a doctor. Or I had, <laughs> I had a physician tell me once uh, when, when a doctor told me to take my wife to the emergency room, and I said, no, they'll kill her there. Um, he said, and, I, and then we got into a discussion later on, he said, I told you to just take her to the emergency room. I said, no, you didn't. You needed to tell me that her temperature was 105 mm -hmm. and that she had a blood pressure of 60 over 40. That's what you needed to tell Wow. Me. Because I, I feel I could have managed her problem at home. But, but the point is, is that doctors operate on the premise that they're smarter than the patient. And, and clinically, they are. I mean, there's the, the power, and there's also the power issue. So it's a power issue and a knowledge issue. Because doctors were trained to be the experts. Patients are expected to be passive and compliant. That's their role, opposite the doctor's role. When you go and you're a Googler and you bring in a ream of Googled information, you, you're threatening to them because you may disagree with what they have to say. You may ask for, ask for a reasonable, you may have an unreasonable expectation for care uh, that they don't care to get into, um, or they're just plain and simply threatened. This doesn't originate with a computer. There was actually an article that was fascinating. It was, it was called Le Maladie des Petite papier, the malady of the little piece of paper. That the same argument applied to, to patients that would bring in a list of notes, mm -hmm. questions to doctors. Doctors feel the exact same way about questions, and they disparage um, people people that would bring in a list of questions. And, and again, this is between friends, so to speak. The doctors won't publicly say this. Anybody that knows anything about their condition is threatening to the doctor. Mm -hmm. Probably because it will take a lot of time or extra time, too, when they see that piece of paper, like, whoa. Yeah, that, I mean, c concern about time is always an issue. Mm -hmm. um, but, but, you know, one of the things that needs to change is, is, that, is that if physicians start involving patients in their care over consecutive visits um, and slowly start to reorient the role of the patient and train the patient how to be good patients, not in, as in, not, not good as in, do it, I tell you, but good as in, you know, we got limited time, so let's make your questions pertinent, focused, don't ramble. You know, over time, the time you invest on the front end, you're going to recoup with shorter visits on the tail end. Yep. Yep. I think there's even been some studies that show that if you answer those questions right up front or pay attention to that first question, the whole exam is actually shorter. Well, yeah, it, it, it can be. It, it can be. Um, but usually the, the, the length of the exam is more a function of, well, there's a great quote that says, you know, the, if you want to save time, become a better communicator. Mm -hmm. So, again, it all the common denominator among, among many of this is the physicians just were never taught uh, how to communicate effectively with patients. Right. That's the whole bottom line here. Wow. Well, Steve, we have a stockpile of questions and thoughts, and so uh, you are always welcome anytime to come back to help unravel some of our most pressing questions. You do such a great job. I just so appreciate you and your point of view. Well, I appreciate that, and uh, I'm happy to, to help out. Steve, you are 
You are awesome, and it's just been an honor to have you here. Well, it's, it's my pleasure as well. It's a great show. Thank you. Listen to Pat Rulo and Speak Up and Stay Alive Radio. Stay safe from little-known healthcare and hospital hazards. To learn more, go to speakupandstayalive.com. That's speakupandstayalive.com. Hi there, I'm Gina Murphy-Darling, the host of Mrs. Green's World, and I would really love for you to become a part of that world. We talk about things like the faceless villain of climate change, our compromised food supply, and about how to become a conscious consumer. But it's not all bad news. We educate, we inspire, we engage. We always leave you with some small steps you can take to make a difference for this great planet of ours and help you live the healthy life you deserve. Please visit MrsGreensWorld.com to learn more and become a part of our world. Is the patient portal a healthcare babysitter? Research on diagnostic mistakes suggests that most diagnoses that occur in primary care practice are related to the basic elements of the office visit. Eight in 10 misdiagnoses were due in part to problems in the patient encounter, such as errors during the physical exam or medical history taking. One in five mistakes was related to referrals, such as a decision not to consult an appropriate expert. 16% of misdiagnosis involved patient-related factors such as a patient's failure to provide accurate medical histories or miscommunication between the patient and health professional. Poor test result follow-up and tracking contributed to 15% of missed diagnosis, and 14% of the mistakes involved other testing mix-ups such as misinterpretations or the mistaken belief that the result was not serious enough to warrant hospital admission or further investigation. According to a report in the BMJ Quality and Safety Journal, and this is important, each year in the United States, approximately 12 million adults or, get this, one out of 20 patients who seek outpatient medical care are misdiagnosed in a way that could cause severe harm. These alarming statistics are further reinforced by a new study from the Institute of Medicine that was published just this past September that predicts in quote, most people will experience at least one diagnostic error, an inaccurate or delayed diagnosis in their lifetime, sometimes with devastating consequences, unquote. Well, what does this say about the current level of patient care in the United States? It says that everyone, physicians, patients, family members, need to pay more attention to what is going on. It says that we as patients tolerate a healthcare system where we often do not experience full disclosure from our doctors. It says that our system does not encourage collaboration and communication between doctors and patients. And it says that each of us will face a potentially life-threatening situation over the course of our healthcare lives that could be addressed and reversed if we paid attention. The current system is poorly designed to support an accurate diagnosis because our doctors are limited by the time they are allowed to spend with us. So as a result, some do not always follow up with tests and procedures that they have ordered. And I just had that happen. Remember a few weeks ago when I recounted a great patient experience, clean waiting room chairs, on-time appointment, an attentive physician? 
Well, that disappeared, when now, three weeks later, I still haven't heard back from him with my test results. But I did hear back from the babysitter, the patient portal. The patient portal is a hopefully secure online website that gives patients the convenience of 24-hour access to personal health information from anywhere with an internet connection. Using a username and a password, patients can view their health information online. To ensure faster feedback, according to government guidelines, lab results must be posted in the patient portal within 96 hours of the doctor's office receiving them, whether your doctor has seen the results or not. The benefits are, it also eliminates the practice that some doctors have of notifying you only if something is wrong or just leaving you with a very vague, everything looks good. For the most part, seeing the actual values and numbers and words is empowering, but there is a chance that misunderstanding the results could cause you to worry. Which brings me to today's question. Is the patient portal a healthcare babysitter? Well, we know that a babysitter is a person engaged to care for children when the parents are not home. Is the patient portal technology not engaged to care for patients when the doctor is too busy? Does the patient portal take the place of an actual personal follow-up? Am I to really understand all that I read on my patient portal? Is the patient portal some kind of a babysitter set up to excuse the doctor of any further conversation? I mean, I thought it was all about accessing my information and empowering me as the patient. Well, here's why I ask. A day after the ultrasound on my thyroid, I received an email that said, your test results are in. Log on to the internet to the patient portal, which I did. Luckily, I practice what I preach because I have copies of my previous results so I could compare. And what I found is that the thyroid nodules are getting a bit bigger. Big enough to biopsy? Big enough to worry about? Growing at a safe pace? Or should I be concerned? Well, I don't know, because here's all I know. The test results say. The right thyroid lobe is 5 by 1 by 3 by 1 by 4 centimeter. There is a small 2 millimeter cystic area in the mid-pole and another in the superior pole. There is a 4 millimeter hypoechoic nodule in the isthmus on the right side. The isthmus measures 1.4 millimeters in thickness. The left lobe of the thyroid is 4.6 times 1.3 times 1.4 centimeters. There is a 1 millimeter mid to superior nodule and a 2 millimeter inferior pole nodule. Incidentally noted is a 2.1 times 0.4 times 0.9 centimeter lymph node adjacent to the lateral right thyroid lobe. Whew. Am I in trouble? Who knows? Because no one has followed up. So that is why I asked the question, is the patient portal a healthcare babysitter? Well, with the frightening statistic I gave you at the beginning of this conversation, that one out of 20 patients who seek outpatient medical care are misdiagnosed, in a way that can cause severe harm, I would think that follow-up by a live human being communicated in such a way that the patient has full understanding of the results should be mandatory. Diagnostic errors are often incredibly harmful as they may lead to delays in treatment, lack of treatment, inappropriate or unnecessary treatment, all of which can have physical, psychological, and financial consequences. So what can you do to protect yourself? 
especially from the patient portal and test results that go without personal follow-up? Well, first, be proactive. Use all available resources to learn everything you can about your health, your condition, your tests and procedures and medications. Sadly, we must be our own doctors. And here's an important one. Never assume that no news is good news when you have not received the results of a test or procedure. Make sure you are diligent like a dog with a bone about receiving the results and discussing them in detail with your doctor. And if your doctor doesn't call you, don't allow the patient portal to be a babysitter. Call him or her, email, whatever. But be sure that they have seen the results and can communicate exactly what the results mean to your future health. And finally, be informed and involved in all health decisions. I don't know about you, but I'm too old and too wise to need a babysitter. I don't want dazzling technology. I want a physician who is as engaged as I am. I guess I have to keep looking. Well, there you have it. Lots to think about and plenty to share with others. And to do so, simply head over to the website, speakupandstayalive.com. And while you're there, visit the shop page to get a copy of the life-saving book, Speak Up and Stay Alive, Your Hospital Survival Guide. And if you just need more of me, invite me to speak to your group, club, church, business, or hospital. My presentations are fun, fast-paced, informative, and life-saving. Visit speakupandstayalive.com for more information. Email me at pat at speakupandstayalive.com or call me and leave a message on the radio studio line 440-725-5462. That is 440-725-5462. Well, that is it for today. Until next time, I hope you have a healthy and a happy week. I am Pat Rulo, and I am the voice for informed choice.